Well, good morning. I'm Sean, the lead pastor here. And if you missed the announcement earlier, I had successful rotator cuff surgery earlier, so this is nothing to be distracted by. So what will be distracting is I do talk with my hands, and you're going to see this happening a lot. <laughs> and it surprises me too, so I, yeah, I can't help it. So if you're one of our guests here today, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. We're gl- glad to have you with us. Um, what's about to happen right now is not me giving some sort of speech or some sort of TED talk or about my opinions on the state of the world. My opinions are worthless to you. What this is, is we're going to look at a section of God's Word, and I'm going to do my best to unpack what it means and how it applies to us today. We're walking our way through the book of Colossians, and today's passage is found on page 925 in that chair Bible there in front of you. You're welcome to use that. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please do take that one with you as our gift. We would love for you to have that. And if you are a guest with us today, I invite you, if you haven't yet, you can go to the back cover and you can scan that top QR code there. And that will give you the opportunity to find out more about our congregation. And if you'd like to tell us more about yourself, you can do that as well. That does come directly to me. And I do respond to that and help you find more information about Sycamore. So as we get into today's passage, I want to kind of confess to you that one of my not so guilty pleasures is I do like to flip through YouTube sometimes when I'm bored or maybe I can't fall asleep. And one of the things that I have found recently that I really enjoy is this channel of this guy who turns the table on scammers. Like he pretends to be this older lady and they call and they try to scam him out of money and he lets them have access to his computer. But then he immediately, because he's a hacker, he turns around and he gets access to their computer and he cra- it's great, I love it so much. And just as a caveat, by the way, especially our VIPs and others, your bank will not call you. Your bank will not call you. Amazon will not call you, okay? Anyone calls you and says there's something financial that you need to take care of right then, hang up and call back the official number from whoever they said they were from, okay? Please do that. No one legitimate anymore nowadays calls you about something financial, okay? They'll email you or they'll do something else or a letter. Please don't fall for these scams because scams are real. And I'm going there because scams is exactly what's happening in this ancient city of Colossae where the book of Colossians comes from, the letter of Colossians. These false teachers have come in and they're trying to get people to look away from Jesus Christ alone, to add to Jesus some secrets, to add to Jesus some mysteries that only these false teachers know. And so Paul combats this as he has from the very beginning of this letter by pointing to their union with Jesus that, hey, Jesus has fully earned everything you need You don't have to have any additional secrets or mysteries that united to him. You have everything because everything true of Jesus is now true of you when you place your faith and trust in him and you're united to him by faith. Then right before this passage we're going to look at today, Paul reminds them of the hard truth that humanity is completely wrong before God. Everything we are and everything we do, he says, are completely wrong before God. We need an alien righteousness. We need a third-party righteousness, we might say today. And Jesus is that third party that gives us the righteousness we need. It's not a secret. It's not a mystery. They're getting you to look away from this, and they're wrong. Everything God demands is given to us in Christ for free, and that's why it's grace. 
And then he ended last week's passage reminding them that because they stand in Jesus Christ alone, fully accepted by God, no one gets to judge them, especially on religious rules and practices. And now today, Paul is going to dive in even more to this idea of not letting anyone judge you. But Paul goes even further, and Paul says, even if you could do all of those external rules, it would be worthless. External behavior modification is not what makes you right with God. And once you are right with God, external behavior modification is not what makes you closer to God as you walk with Him. So with that in mind, look, let's look together now at Colossians chapter 2 verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 4. It's found on page 10 in your order of worship, page 925 in the Pew Bible. Let's look together at God's Word. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for Your Word. And we pray that as we come before your word today, that you would once again send your spirit and open this text up to us, that we might know you and know ourselves, that we might see Jesus in all his beauty, and that we might once again place our faith and trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. Pray that you would do this, Father, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So what we saw here just real quick in this passage is basically Paul warns, look, don't be scammed by the super spiritual people and their worthless rules because if you are united to Christ, you have the real secret to God's glory. And that gets us to our theme for today, what we're going to kind of orbit around, and that's this. The scammer's mystery offer is worthless to those who have the secret of Jesus. The false teachers come in, kind of like a game show host, and they got, you want to check out what's behind door number one? It's a mystery. It's secret. And this is, this, is, this is how you really do Christianity. And Paul's like, no, it's not. If you have Jesus, you don't need what's behind door number one. So he starts out this passage saying, look, don't let anyone disqualify you. We could translate this, don't let anyone defraud you. We could even translate it, don't let anyone scam you out of what you have in Christ. 
You know, you've heard of imposter syndrome. It's made the news a lot in the last five years. It's not new. It's just new us talking about it. This whole idea that for so many people, they reach this point in life where they look externally successful, but inside they look back at their life and like, it was mostly luck. It wasn't skill. I don't don't actually know what I'm doing, and I'm desperately afraid people are going to scratch behind the surface and see, I don't have a clue. That's imposter syndrome. And these false teachers totally brought that to the church. They wanted these dear, earnest Christians to think they weren't actually Christians. False teachers love to make you think you're not a real Christian because you don't have their secrets. You don't have the mysteries. That's the judgment Paul said. Don't let them bring that to you in verse 16. Don't do that. That was last week. Now this week, he gets a little more specific. He says, these guys come in and they insist on asceticism. That's one of those lovely ancient words. Okay, class participation time. How many of you have either used the phrase or heard the phrase putting someone on a pillar? Come on. There you go. Thank you. Great. You know where it comes from? It comes from the fourth century where these group of Christians thought in order to be closer to God, they had to really suffer physically. So they would pretty much strip themselves down, mostly naked, almost naked, you know. So think typical female pop star, you know, wearing that kind of clothes. And they would get this pole, right? And they would climb up on like an eight to 10 foot pole with a little pedestal on top and they would sit there and that's it. They wouldn't eat. They wouldn't drink, and they would sit there as long as they could. It was like a big brother challenge or something. Because in their mind, hey, the more you suffer, the closer to God you are. Because the undertone is what? Jesus' suffering is not enough. You've got to get some skin in the game. And so they were called pillar saints, and we give them homage by saying, don't put me on a pedestal, don't put me on a pillar, going back to that practice. And you and I, we kind of do that same thing sometimes. Think about when someone has apologized to you for something they've done wrong, and they're part of your heart that wonders, are they really sorry enough, right? Because that's what God does to you, right, when you repent. Are you really repentant enough? Have you suffered enough? Because my son's suffering wasn't enough to cover your sins. You've got to suffer for your sins too. See, that's asceticism where it's not just that, well, fasting is a good spiritual exercise to help keep your flesh in check. No, the false teacher said, no, you have to punish your body or God doesn't like you as much because Jesus' suffering wasn't enough. You've got to do it too. Then Paul says, well, instead of worshiping God alone, these guys come in and they say, well, you should should worship angels too. Now, the ancient word for angel also means messenger. And in context, we don't know if they're talking about actual angels or they're talking about messengers. Because unlike you and I who assume what we live in a big machine called a universe, we're materialists at heart, we're anti-supernatural at heart, they lived in a universe exact opposite. They assumed that the universe was teeming with supernatural life. There were different levels of gods all over the place and they could affect your life. So these false teachers said, hey, you've got to worship all these different levels of beings to really be in with God. Jesus alone, he's all by himself. No, you've got to do these things too. And then, of course, the biggie. God's word alone? Scripture alone? Are you kidding me? No. You've got to have visions. And Paul says, do not let them disqualify you with their visions. Because, of course, the false teachers had the visions. I remember very early in my career, I was on church staff, and me and this other person on staff, let's just say we had a difficult relationship. Um, One of the things I love about Sycamore is that the staff, we actually all like each other. And it's even more, right? 
our spouses all like each other. I, I wish I could tell you that that's common for church. It's not. It's really a special place to be where the staff actually likes each other because this church I was at was more typical. This guy and I had issues. And I remember he called me up early one morning, super early. It was so early, like Nikki and I didn't have kids yet. And so we did what people without kids do, this thing called sleeping in, right? And so he calls, remember this, Nikki? He calls at like, oh, dark 30. I pick up the landline phone because it was, you know, it was back in the last century. I know, right? And I'm, uh, hello? And he goes, God told me in a dream that you've slandered me and you should apologize. Me and all of my post-seminary maturity went, God's wrong, and hung up. Because <laughs> I hadn't, right? So, plus I'm a Presbyterian. Like, God's not talking to you, man. Sorry. But what do you do with that? That's like the ultimate church world checkmate, right? I had, God told me in a dream. How do you, that's like the ultimate Jesus juke. You can't get around that one. How do you get away from that? And Paul says, don't even engage. Don't let them scam you with their dreams, their visions. And it's really significant what Paul says, because if you're familiar with the story of Paul, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 12 that he himself was taken up directly in a vision. He calls it the seventh heaven. And that's all he says. He's like, I can't talk about it. I won't talk about it. Because he had a real vision. And when you have a real vision, it's so sublime, you don't want to talk about it. So Paul says, these guys actually in their visions, how does he describe them? He says, they're puffed up. They're inflated. We would say full of hot air coming from this ancient phrase calling people puffed up. They're arrogant. They're prideful in their visions. Then you get to the real issue. What's really the point? Verse 19. Look with me at verse 19. What does Paul say the issue is? He says, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Jesus is the head or the source of the church. All growth for Christians comes from Jesus. False teachers want to disconnect you from the source. That's what they want to do. They don't want you focusing on Jesus alone. They want you either adding to Jesus or ignoring Jesus. Because if we can get some Christians to lose their hold on Jesus, the whole body loses its unity. We start infighting because we're not focusing on Jesus. False teachers don't bring growth. They bring impoverishment. I mean, it sounds so simple, right? You're probably sitting there going, well, duh, duh. Why would I listen to these people? Because here's the issue. False teachers can often seem so godly so mature. Paul mentored several younger pastors, and in the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are kind of like his instruction manual to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's telling them how to do this thing called ministry and what to look out for. And there's this interesting section in, in 2 Timothy 3 where Paul lists all these vices. Like, it's a pretty significant list. Like, if you want to see all the bad stuff you're not supposed to do, go to 2 Timothy 2, or 3, excuse me, and look at verses 2 through 4. It's a list of 18 pretty significant bad vices, really bad stuff. He says, look out for these things. And then he gets to the 19th vice in verse 5. And it's really interesting. Look with me at 2 Timothy 3, 5, this 19th vice. Paul says, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. 
See, in context, I just showed you one verse, but in context, Paul is saying here, vices like abuse, like loving money, like being slanderous, they can seem like godliness. See, godliness rests on the power of God to change us from the inside out. False teachers come in and say, no, you change yourself from the outside in with all these rules and practices. Fundamentally, false teachers say, God doesn't have the power to change you. You have to change yourself. And because they have these rigorous standards, they seem so mature and spiritual. It's often hard to resist. But the scammer's mystery offer is worthless if you have the secret of Jesus. And so we see this starting in verse 20. The false teachers love to come in and they love to should all over Christians. That's what they do. Verse 21, the ESV translates them as commands. We could just as easily translate them as you should not handle. You should not taste. You should not touch. Paul engages with this Christ-denying behavior modification through our union with Christ. He says, they say this, but here is the truth. Look with me at verse 20. He says this, If with Christ y'all, plural, died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if y'all were still alive to the world do y'all submit to regulations? Okay, what's going on here? Way back in verse 12, a couple weeks ago, Paul says, don't forget, y'all were buried with Jesus and y'all were raised with Jesus. That's what it means to be in union with Jesus. What happened to him happened to you. What's true of him is true of you. So in Jesus, you are free from this world. You've died to this world. Yet, you keep submitting to this world's behavior modification rules as if you weren't united to Christ. Dying with Christ sets us free from the elements of this world, he says. Why do we keep then falling back into regulations and behavior modification, he asks. And he answers. He says, these things have what? An appearance of wisdom, but in reality, they're just promoting self-made religion. But they seem so wise, it's hard to discern. If you remember last week, we saw that our debt was canceled by the blood of Jesus, that we're free then from God's law for God's law, that God's instructions go from duty to delight. We want to follow God's instructions. False teachers come in, on the other hand, and they lay aside God's instructions and they put their own law on you and says, do this to be a real Christian. And it may appear wise, but it's just self-made religion. And here's the key. Here's where Paul's going to get. If you really want to become more like Jesus, if you really want to grow in your faith, if you really want to have victory over temptation, all of these rules, look with me at verse 23. What does he say about them? are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And when he says they're of no value, he means they're of no value. Worthless. They can't help you. Because here's what the false teachers miss. The battle of temptation is always fought at the level of desire, not knowledge. I mean, how often, honestly, do you sin because, oh, you know, no, you did exactly what you wanted. You know, it's a, you know what the speed limit is. You didn't want to go that slow, right? You know that's not your cookie in the break room. 
But you want it anyway, right? Christians have been set free from the power of sin in Jesus. We can avoid the indulgence of the flesh by the Spirit when we want to. All these rules are of no value because they don't address our desires. They don't address the heart. They only seek to modify behavior. And the scammer's mystery offer is worthless to those who have the secret of Jesus. So starting in chapter 3, because that's true, Paul begins to address the heart instead of behavior modification. Instead of submitting to earthly regulations and external behaviors, what does he say? He says, seek the things above. Seek Jesus himself in his resurrected glory. Desire after Christ. I really want you all to get this. I was talking to somebody after the first service, like, man, you could do like five sermons on this section. Like, I know, but I can't. So this is one of the most important areas of the entire Bible. I'm serious. Chapter 2, verse 20 through chapter 3, verse 4 is one of the most important areas in sacred Scripture. If you can get in your mind and heart this transition from chapter 2 to chapter 3, you have access such joyful freedom in Christ. Why? Because fundamentally, Christians, we don't actually believe 2.23 that the rules and regulations are of no value in stopping the flesh. We think we can take on our sinful natures with our willpower. We do. We do. And until our want-tos change, all the rules in the world are of no value. Starting with Martin Luther, the, the Reformers put it this way. They would say, you never break commandments two through ten, without first breaking commandment one. In other words, it's not just that you want to lie, it's that you want to lie and so you cast off the God of Scripture who says you can't lie and you give your life to a God who says you can lie. You break commandment one, so then you can do the, break the commandment you want to break. You do the same thing with coveting, you do the same thing with stealing, you do the same thing with adultery. You want to do this and so you get rid of the God who says you can't and you worship and give your life to a God who says you can. You do what you want to do. We don't want to follow God's instructions, and so we find ways around them. It's not that the rules are bad. I'm not saying God's law is bad. It's that our hearts are bad. We have to seek, Paul says, desire after the things that are above. I want to step into a really difficult application at this point. So I've been in ministry in some form for the last 30 years. And in my time, I have come to be convinced there's only two kinds of men in the church. There are those who have taken steps to protect themselves from online pornography. And there are those who have given up, indulged in it regularly, living in guilt and shame. I know mom, your son's a third type. No, he's not. I know wives, your husband's the third type. No, he's not. There is no third type. You either are dealing with it or you're give, you've given yourself over to it. 
You can put up all sorts of software blockers. You can put all sorts of accountability software in place. There's a ton of it out there. But until your desires change, your heart will always find a way around those rules and you will do what you want to do because they are worthless to stop the indulgence of the flesh. Men, if that's you, come talk to me. We have real anonymous help available for you. And we have so many men weekly finding freedom from this epidemic. You can, you can, you can have freedom. And parents, if you have given your son a smartphone without any kind of internet filter, I don't care how old he is, he's probably already addicted to porn. You need to address it. It's huge. Anyway, let's jump into something that's not quite so shocking. It got a little heavy in here, didn't it? Christians, any sort of continual temptation that you as a Christian battle, any sort of habitual sin, you are stuck in 2.23, you're frustrated, you feel guilty, you wonder if you're even a Christian because you cannot set yourself free from this habitual thing no matter how many rules you put on yourself. You need to make the turn, the transition to chapter 3. Let's look together at the opening verses of chapter 3. What does Paul tell us? He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. If you have been born again in Jesus, Paul says your desires can change. Seek after Him. Pursue after him. Desire him, and that will stop the indulgence of the flesh. Here's how a mentor of mine put it when I was first married. He goes, look, here's the deal. You don't walk around as a Christian husband going, don't cheat on my wife, don't cheat on my wife, don't cheat on my wife. Because that's stupid. You walk around going, I am called to love my wife as Christ loves the church, and I love Jesus, and I love her. Therefore, I've not even considered cheating on her. You don't focus on the rules. You focus on the desirability of the object of your love. That's what Paul is saying here. You love Jesus more, and that changes your want-tos when it comes to the indulgence of the flesh. Because for the Christian, the battle of temptation is always at the level of desire. So Paul's instructions are to desire Jesus more. Because what the heart desires, the will rests on and the mind chooses. And very often we forget the heart and we, we focus on the will and the mind, don't we? I know it sounds so churchy, but Paul really does say here, fall in love with Jesus more and you'll have victory over the sin in your life. All right, boys and girls, it got a little heavy in here, a little uncomfortable. Thank you all for staying. I want to talk to you guys a little bit, boys and girls. I want you to think about dessert. Clearly, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to dessert, right? You don't get this body shaped like a fire hydrant without that. So, but I also want to be healthy. I want my pants to fit. Boys and girls, do you know why your parents don't just let you eat all the desserts you want? Do you know why they make you eat things like broccoli and kale? Because they want you to be healthy too. Now, I'm an adult. I'm a big boy. I, I can choose to eat whatever I want. It's great. Every morning I get to choose between the donut and the bran flakes. And I'm like, bran flakes, can you even try? Like, can you, can you help me out? You know, you look like a bowl of scabs, you know. 
uh, it tastes like it too. So. Every day I desire to do, I do what I desire to do most. That's what Paul's saying here, boys and girls. Paul is saying, look, man, don't make up a bunch of anti-donut rules. Just want to be healthy more, and the donuts will take care of themselves. Here's how we put it for you. Boys and girls, let's look at your translation on page 11. It says this, starting in verse 23. Those extra rules sound so churchy, but they are not the gospel. They are worthless to make us closer to God. Since you are in Jesus' family, you will want to be like him. Learn to love the things of Jesus more instead of following earthly rules. See, boys and girls, this is why you read your Bible. This is why you go to church. You learn more about Jesus. You see how beautiful and desirable he is. And he captures your heart in a way that the sin can't. And so you have victory over temptation because you want to follow Jesus. That's what Paul's telling us all. Because the scammer's mystery offer is worthless to those who have the secret of Jesus. The final thing he tells us here, starting in verse 3 and 4, is that, you know, basically following his normal pattern, Paul rests all these commands he has just given on really good theology. Paul always does that. Here's a command, and here's the theology why you should follow this command. He says, look, y'all have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, you don't have to find the hidden mystery You are the hidden mystery. Your life is hidden with Christ. You have it. Here's how I put it for the boys and girls there, verse 3. It says this, The real secret is that Jesus is in you because you are in Jesus. That's the hidden mystery. Your life is hidden with Christ. You don't have to find the hidden mystery, the secret the false teachers are bringing. You have it already. And did you catch what he said in verse 4? He said, Christ, who is your life? Jesus is your life. You don't have to squeeze life, significance, purpose, meaning, status, satisfaction out of all the things of this world or out of being super religious or following all the rules or at least following them better than others. You don't have to squeeze life out of that. Jesus is your life. You already have it. Your life is hidden with Christ. He is actually your life itself. That's what it means to be a Christian. Everything the false teachers are offering you, everything your heart desires is in Christ, and you already have it, and he's going to come back and fulfill it one day, someday. Whereas Paul says here, when he appears in glory, you will too. You either have it already or it's promised to be yours one day, someday. Jesus is yours then, not because you figured out the mystery. Jesus is yours not because you found out the secret, not because you've earnestly kept all the rules meticulously, but Jesus is yours because you are his already. When you place your faith and trust in him as the resurrected Lord, Your life became hidden, intertwined with Christ's. United to him so that what's true of you, what's true of him is true of you. That's Christianity. What the scammers, their mystery offer is just worthless compared to what we have in the secret of Jesus. All right, let's wrap this up. I just want to ask a couple questions. What is it, dear Christian, 
that has the appearance of wisdom in your life but really isn't? Where are you trying so hard to overcome the indulgence of the flesh? Where do you have the appearance of godliness, but in fact you are denying God's power, not holding fast to Jesus as the source of your growth, but looking to your own will? Now, the only way, dear Christian, to cast off a habitual sin and to grow in godliness is by changing what our heart desires. See Jesus in His resurrected beauty. Ask God to give you a deeper desire for Him. Be part of the worshiping community that lifts up Jesus together. Be part of a community group with others. Seek the things that are above and you can find freedom and joy. And if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, are you tired of just trying so hard? Are you exhausted yet? Aren't you so glad for a passage like this that point blank says Christianity is not about a bunch of rules. Those things are of no value. Man, I've been exposed to churches that made it seem that Christianity was about a bunch of rules. I bet you have too. Isn't it glad to know that that's not anything what the Bible says? So cast off everything you've called religion. All of those rules and practices that your mind says, oh, well, this is what it means to be a Christian. You've got to start jumping through these hoops. No. Cast off all those things, see Jesus in his beauty, and place your faith and trust in him as the resurrected Lord. And you can have freedom, and you can have joy. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, this is a hard passage, especially for those of us who've known you and loved you for a long time. Because, Father, we're so used to you that we're not amazed by you anymore. We don't see you as beautiful. We see you as useful. And so we don't really desire after you as much as we take advantage of you for a good life. And we look to our wills to fight temptation. We feel defeated and guilty and wonder where you are. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you help us once again to find you beautiful and to desire the things above where you are? Lord, would you help us to rejoice that our life is hidden with Christ? And from there, would you change our desires? Lord, I pray today for those who do not know you, that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, is crucified for sinners, raised for our new life, I pray that you would be true to your promise to draw all people to him. Even now, would you do your work of causing many to confess and believe the gospel? We ask that you would do this, Father, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.